Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. Our affordable $199 Jiri course includes everything you need to ace your Jiri. A full textbook, tons of Jiri questions backed by our memory enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gives you 10% off. Now today I've got Test Crackers back on the show. Yuri and Seth, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, super happy to be with you again, Tyler. Uh, my name's Yuri, and uh, Seth and I uh, run uh, Test Crackers. We're a, a small uh, GRE uh, preparation outfit that uh, does live online uh, classes in a small group format with instructors who have scored in the top 1% of GRE uh, test takers. Yeah, fantastic. So, and then Seth, you just want to say hi so people know who you are? Hi, I'm Seth. <laughs> Great. So then let's uh, let's jump right into the topic today. So the topic today is how to master timing on the GRE and, and specifically focusing on the quant section because I think that's where people have the most trouble. And so Yuri, I, I, you had some, uh, some fun things to share here, so I'd love to have you kick it off. Well, fun is a high bar, but I will do my best. Um, <laughs> I think it's fun. I, I also, I, I, I live in this stuff, right? So, uh, timing is a tricky topic. And one of the, um, things that I'd like to talk about is this idea that you have to do all of the questions in order to get a great score. And that's just not true. Um, mm. most people, uh, think about a GRE, like a high school test where, if you get 75% of the questions right, you get a C, which they consider not good. Um, but the GRE isn't like that. Right. And um, uh, you can skip a ton of questions and do well. I decided to do a little a timing experiment uh, with the ETS power prep exams. And I thought to myself, what would happen if my students only did half the test? <laughs> and so I did exactly half the questions. Um, and then I did an so on the quant section there are twenty questions in each section, uh, so I did ten of them. Uh, but because uh, probability says you get roughly twenty percent of the questions that you guess on right, I did an extra two. Uh, so I did twelve out of twenty, which is the equivalent of a student doing ten out of twenty, and then guessing mm -hmm. on the rest. Uh, and I was pretty right. shocked at my score, which was a one fifty one. Uh, so a 151 for just doing half the test uh, on uh, one of the power prep exams. I did the next timing experiment, and I only did three quarters of the questions. So that would be 15 out of 20. Uh, mm -hmm. But knowing that my students would guess on the other five, because there's no penalty for guessing, I added an additional one question that probability says I would probably get right by guessing. So I did 16 out of 20 on both. And ended up with a 160, a score that most folks would be uh, uh, fairly happy with, especially uh, early on in their studies. Um, and, uh, and so that indicates that you definitely don't have to do every question to even get a 160. And the question is, okay, which questions do you do? Um, well, because within a section, all questions are worth the same got to do the easy questions first. Uh, and, yeah. and so um, generally with timing, 
you want to go through the entire exam and only do the easiest questions. For everybody, that's different. But when people are starting out, I tend to tell them, do the easiest 10 to 12 questions on the quant section first and make sure that you get all of those correct. If you do, you're at a 151. And now on the second pass through the exam, you do the harder questions and you build off of that score. Right. Yeah. And hey, if you get, let's say, 16 of them, <laughs> you're at a 160. That's pretty good. Exactly. And, and just... Yes. Go ahead, Seth. Sorry. I don't know if now's a good time to, but just to mention, yeah. the numbers are actually even more impressive when you look at those on verbal. Uh, very similar experiment. With verbal, it's still 20 questions. And with verbal, it's actually conveniently split in half because half of them are vocab-based questions and half of them are reading comp-based questions. Mm -hmm. If you do the half that's only vocab, which is what I would recommend, in part because they take less time, in part because you should study vocab, it's the key to doing well on this test, and in part because they're harder to guess on, uh, because there's generally more than the probabilistic options, so you, you know, you've got a lower chance of guessing them right. If you do only the vocab, guess on the 10 ones, so you get 12 right. 12 right per section on verbal is a 155. And on, uh, on, on uh, the three-quarter example, so you would do the 10 vocab-based questions and then the five easiest reading comp questions and, it, you know, guess on the five harder ones, that's actually a 164 on wow. the, uh, the verbal section. So 16 right per section on verbal is a 164. There aren't a lot of people who score above a 164 on verbal. You know, that's a very good score. And mm -hmm. the people who do tend to be people who think they need to get everything right. And so, you know, again, I find it pretty uh, illuminating that you can do that well with still the ability to look at some questions and say, this is not worth my time. I should be focused on the easier questions at the very least first and, you know, potentially to the exclusion of some of these to the point where some of them are going to be total guesses. Yeah. So then how do you, I think if each, each of you could answer this in turn, that would be great. But like starting with you, Yuri, how do you budget each of those sort of time blocks? Let's say you've got the easiest half, then the next hardest, you like then what's left, you break it in half again, and then the next hardest quarter, and then you have the final quarter. Like how do you, how do you budget your time uh, with the easiest half first to make sure that you've got time for the rest also? And you know, to aim for that 160 plus? Yeah, um, good question. I actually don't put time uh, uh, barriers on my students because for the first, the, the first pass through where you're doing the easiest questions for you, you really want to take as much time as it takes to get those right. Um, if they're the easiest questions and you're starting out on your GRE journey, it may take you 35 minutes to get the easiest 10 correct. If that's the case, it should you should spend that 35 minutes on the easiest 10 questions. Um, as long as they're the easiest 10, as long as you're not choosing the most difficult ones, then you got to take your time, slow down, and get questions correct. The GRE is about getting questions correct. It's not about getting to all the questions. And, um, and so ideally, you know, you start bringing that down. If you can get to the first 10, the easiest 10 to 12 questions, and do them in 20 minutes, that's wonderful. And now you've got mm -hmm. the next 15 minutes for the quant section 
uh, to do another five questions. Well, that's three minutes per question on the hardest questions. That gets you to a 160. And if you can do that with accuracy, and that's the important thing, then you'll do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's same with verbal, where I would say it's less about a strict cutoff and it's more about an attitude to learn. And, you know, I think something that's hard for people to realize is there's a right speed for you to do problems, and it's determined by you and the problem. It's not determined by the clock on the exam. And when people have a lot of success in practice problems that they struggle to translate to the test, it's often because they let the fact that there's this ticking clock throw them off their game and make them think, well, now time matters, so I need to throw out all those good habits I had that was, you know, it let me solve problems effectively and put Mm -hmm. this like crunch on myself to be fast. The key to the timing strategy like this is to say, that's just wrong. The right way to manage time in this test is to do the problems at the pace that you can do them and get them right, that you know because you've practiced it, and then Mm -hmm. make decisions about which problems you're doing to, you know, allocate that effectively. It's this, this, it's kind of flipping timing in, in a very different way, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I uh, try never to rush my students because rushing is like, as far as I can tell, the number one cause of missed questions on the GRE quant section is through rushing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the only time that rushing is acceptable is when you're skipping a question. So then I say, yes, that decision has to be made quickly. When you look at a question, I want you to take 10, 15, or at most 20 seconds to decide whether to do it completely or skip it completely. And if it looks very difficult, if you don't know the first two steps you would take to solve the problem, you have to say, thank you, next, and then go on to the next question immediately. So that's Mm -hmm. where there's time pressure to skip. and, you know, one of the worst things you can do is what a lot of my students start out doing, which is called trying out questions. You can't try out questions on the exam. Uh, you either do it and mm-hmm. get it right or you skip it right away. Uh, try out questions are like from 30 to 90 seconds. People give it a try and then they say, oh, this is tough. I'm going on to the next one. Well, you know, you can do that with like once or twice on a test, but if you do that with with more than that, then you're losing two things. You're losing a point because you're probably getting that question wrong. But more importantly, you're losing all of that time. The benefit to skipping questions is gaining time. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, you want to skip quickly and make those decisions uh, authoritatively. And then you want to slow down and make sure that you get questions correct on the ones that you do. And I think that, you know, this is probably true relatively for both sections. Um, When you're a nice thing about the GRE compared to the GMAT or some other tests where you can't go back and forth is you can cycle through the problems because you just choose not to do a problem. You're saying, I don't want to do this problem right now. And that's a little bit easier than saying, I don't want to do this problem ever. You think Mm -hmm. about it like you're kind of hunting through the test to say, I want to pick up the 10 easiest right answers I can wherever I'm going to find them. And if you see a problem that's like, "Mm, maybe I could solve this, that's a way of saying there's a problem maybe I couldn't solve, which is a way of saying maybe I should be doing some other easier problems first. And so it's it's kind of about kind of 
believing that the right choice is to seek out these problems that are really doable and understandable and comfortable from the start and to do those first uh, before you get to worrying about the other ones because you, you could still solve all the problems potentially. You're just prioritizing to say, if I am going to run out of time, let it be with the problems remaining that are most likely to go wrong or take a long time anyway because mm -hmm. there's no real loss there if you never get to spend time doing those. Yeah. Yeah, you got to you have to see all of the questions because the very last question might be the easiest. And these questions mm -hmm. are not in strict order of difficulty. Uh, so sometimes if you don't skip questions and then you end on number 17, you know, it's possible that number 20 was x plus 2 equals 10. What's x? You know, that's possible. And when you gave not on the verbal section, not on the well, yeah, I've never seen it on the verbal. You skip. You've given <laughs> up x plus two equals ten because you were working on this ridiculous units digit question for three and a half minutes earlier on. You know, in the exam, um, there's one other aspect of timing that sometimes gets overlooked, and that is that people um, don't generally get a lot quicker at processing speed. Uh, in terms of their studies. Um, so, yeah. uh, but people do get a lot quicker with questions if they use different strategies. And um, there are some strategies that just take a lot less time to implement on questions that you can still not rush, you can still take your time uh, and get the question right in uh, a less amount uh, of time. Uh, and so, uh, for example, with quantitative comparison problems, um, a lot of people want to plug in numbers for virtually every quantitative comparison problem. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it just takes an excessive amount of time. Uh, whereas, for example, manipulating algebraically the two quantities rather than picking numbers often saves a ton of time and you can still uh, be methodical about it and make sure that you get it right um, without spending a lot of time. So using the right strategy on questions is a way to uh, manage your time as well as going through you know, two different passes and skipping the hardest questions on the first pass. Now, I think that's a, a really key point about timing. And it, it's something we sort of touched upon in a different way um, in, a, in another podcast uh, where when we talk about reviewing tests or reviewing homework and learning from those things, you can't only look at outcomes as binary, as a good result is I got the right answer, a bad result is I got the wrong answer. Because mm. one of the most important things to learn is to say, did I see an efficient way to set up and solve this problem? And, you know, one of the most important things to review are problems that you got right slowly and spent too long on and maybe right. need to figure out a better approach to. And I think that's a lot of it. To me, one of the biggest keys to timing is this sorting, is to take the knowledge you gain by doing a lot of problems and to say, okay, I know this is just going to take me too long. So I know if I see questions like this, I should not be doing them at all. I should be guessing immediately. And that's a huge time saver and then it's also, though, other ones where you're like, oh, this one, I actually think I should be doing, but I could be faster because the way I did it wasn't the best way. 
And doing the same problem, especially on quant, four different ways, trying different tools and different strategies and frameworks and saying, oh, actually, now that I've done that, I kind of know next time my first intuition as to how to do this problem wasn't the best way. That's the kind of thing that saves you time, as Yuri says, much more so than just thinking, I'm going to get lightning fast at doing the math. And so I'm going to shave, you know, minutes off of every problem by just getting quicker at adding, you know, uh, not how it works. Yep. Yeah. Approach matters a lot more than the math itself. And the it, and sort of what I've learned. And then, I mean, just the thing that I think is most interesting about what you guys have said today is that you're better off answering, you know, 15 or 16 problems correctly and just knowing that four of them are complete guess toss up or just straight up wrong than you are trying to, you know, do all 20 and like you're hoping that you know four of them are right like generally speaking unless you are really like aiming for a tippy top score here it's gonna almost always be better to just like not even bother with the problems that you can't solve quickly yeah and, and absolutely just bringing it back to verbal there you know again you say a tippy top score 164 by most standards is a tippy top score Right. Yeah. So even if that's your goal, it's realizing it might be worth sacrificing something. How many students struggle endlessly with the one long passage that they tend to see in a verbal section? And if you say, you know what, if I just didn't do that at all, all the time that would free up for me to spend on the whole rest of the test, I could be nearly perfect. Right. Like maybe that's the best strategy for you. Mm -hmm. it's, it could be the highest scoring strategy. Right. That's kind of what you guys are getting at, which is the goal. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I, I will use best with highest scoring strategy pretty interchangeably on the fairly reasonable assumption that my students think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I feel I have uh, some private tutoring students and sometimes I feel like they are paying me to just yell at them to slow down over two months over and over again. And that, <laughs> and that at some point when they hear me and they agree that they should slow down, their score increases. Um, you know, how many uh, questions uh, on the quant side uh, ask you to do a somewhat difficult problem and find X, for example, and then they find X and the question is, but what's X plus one? Well, ETS knows that people know how to add one to a value. Why are they right, asking yeah. it that way? They're asking it that way because they want to know that you pay attention to detail. And it's not a quantitative idea. It's just, you know, do you pay attention to detail? Mm -hmm. Do you read the question carefully? Well, if you rush, you're going to miss that one word or two words that actually changes the question. And, um, and so slowing down, I think, is the key to accuracy uh, on this test. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, in terms of that, it's, it's just I, so many people separate those ideas, right? They think, oh, mm -hmm. the key is that I have to learn to catch all those subtle details at lightning speed and that that's the improvement. And it isn't, you know, you need to slow down and it's counterintuitive because they're like, but I'm running out of time, but we're giving you the answer here. The answer is yes, you need to slow down and yes, you're running out of time and you're going to deal with running out of time by selectively ignoring some problems entirely not by messing up all the ones you're doing because you're trying to do them all faster than you're really comfortable and capable of doing them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great note to end on. Um, thank you so much, Seth and Yuri, for joining me today from Test Crackers. They're at testcrackers.org. This has been Jiri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable. And you can try Achievable's Jiri course for free at achievable.me uh, to see if you like it. And if you do like it, the co- podcast will get you 10% off.